Father, uh, this morning we're just grateful um, that we can uh, gather together, some of us in person, just a few of us this morning and also online. And Lord, we pray that right now as we uh, open up your word and read, um, that God, you would, uh, you would reveal truth to us, um, that you would encourage us in the gospel, that you would challenge us Help us to see things, God, that we haven't seen before. Help us to learn more about you and learn more about ourselves and how we relate to you and and relate to one another. And God, as we continue this series called Humanity, where we're just thinking through what true unity actually looks like, I I pray this morning you would uh, just give us another picture from your word of true unity. Uh, we love you, God. We, we trust you to teach us through your word this morning. In Christ's name, amen. So uh, last week, we started a short sermon series uh, called Humanity. This is just going to be about three weeks long. So this is our second week in this series. And the premise of this series is the reality that God is most glorified when humanity is unified. And last week, we looked to the scriptures to understand what kind of unity actually brings glory to God. And so we read about the Tower of Babel in Genesis chapter 11 as an example of fake unity, a kind of unity that God wants to actually disrupt And then we read about Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 as an example of true unity that God wants to to amplify and encourage. But what we discovered last week is that one of the tools that God uses to disrupt fake unity um, is the tool of diversity, That when God wants to disrupt fake unity and encourage true unity, he puts diversity into the mix. So we learned that homogeneity makes it easier to have fake unity. When everybody's the same, it's easy to have fake unity that excludes people because we'll unite around the things that make us the same And diversity makes it easier to have true unity because we can unite around the gospel, the thing that brings us together. And so if you missed that sermon from last week, really encourage you to go get the replay on YouTube or Facebook. Um, It's also on our podcast on our website. But this morning, uh, as we continue in this series, I just want to dig a little deeper into uh, the how and the why when it comes to diversity. How does and why does diversity help us to have true unity? want to dig into that a bit more. And so this morning, it's going to be uh, a little more like a workshop um, because what I want to do is I want to train all of us in two particular competencies that I think are critical in order for diversity to truly thrive in our church, Uh, for us to actually truly fight for the kind of unity that does glorify God, all right? So here are the two competencies, all right? I believe 
that in order for diversity and unity to thrive in our church, we need to build competency in these two areas. First, our cultural awareness, and second, being trauma-informed, all right? Those are the two competencies. Now, I know that those two things might be buzzwords or trendy concepts today, but when you dig into the value of being culturally aware and trauma-informed, I think you'll understand more while these things, why these things are critical to our unity uh, as the church, all right? So we're gonna just jump into these two uh, right now. Okay, so if we're going to be a church where diversity thrives and we experience true unity around the gospel of Jesus Christ, it's important that we are culturally aware. Okay, so first, turn in your Bible with me to two places. Uh, I want you to go to Isaiah chapter 60, So the book of Isaiah, big book in your Old Testament right before Jeremiah. Get to Isaiah chapter 60 and then also turn to Revelation chapter 7. All right, get a finger in both of those places in your Bible. So Revelation 7, last book of the Bible. We're going to read from both of these places here in just uh, a second, but because here's what I want to do with these two texts is I think these two texts are going to show us the role that culture plays in the kingdom of God. Uh, Both Isaiah 60 and Revelation chapter 7 are forward-looking visions of what life is going to be like in the new heavens and new earth forward-looking visions of the kingdom of God. When Jesus is our ruler, like he's here, he's ruling over, he's governing the world, there's no more sin, there's no more division, all right? There's no more racism, there's no more of any of that stuff. It is paradise, okay? And these two texts are gonna show us the role that culture plays in that place. So let's start in Isaiah chapter 60. I'm gonna read verses three through nine uh, right now. But just look at what, look at this vision of the kingdom of God. It says this, all nations will come to your light. Mighty kings will come to see your radiance. Look and see, for everyone is coming home. Your sons are coming from distant lands. Your little daughters will be carried home. Your eyes will shine and your heart will thrill with joy. For, look at this, merchants from around the world will come to you. This is the kingdom of God. They will bring you the wealth of many lands. Vast caravans of camels will converge on you. The camels of Midian and Ephath, the people of Sheba, will bring gold and frankincense and will come worshiping the Lord. The flocks of Kedar will be given to you, and the rams and the Boath will be brought for my altars. I will accept their offerings, and I will make my temple glorious. So real quick, he's saying, All of these nations, all of these cultures that exist in the kingdom of God will come and converge upon Jerusalem where God is, and they're going to offer to God products of their culture, 
products of their, mer- their merchants are gonna bring the things that they sell. They're gonna bring different artifacts from their culture to offer as worship to God. Verse eight, and what do I see? Flying like clouds to Israel, like doves to their nests. What are those? They are the ships from the ends of the earth, so ships coming on sea to Jerusalem, from lands that trust in me, led by the great ships of Tarshish. They are bringing the people of Israel home from far away, carrying their silver and gold. They will honor the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, for he has filled you with splendor." And so we just have this vision of the different cultures of the world that exist in the kingdom of God, bringing to God the different artifacts of their culture to offer to God. Revelation chapter seven, flip over there with me real quick. Again, last book of your Bible. Another vision of God's kingdom that we get. Just gonna read verses nine and 10, two verses So it says, after this, I saw a vast crowd. So we're in the kingdom of God. This is John. He sees a vision. He's writing it down. And he says, I see a vast crowd, too great to count. Listen, from every nation and tribe and people and language standing in front of the throne and before the lamb, they were clothed in white robes and held palm branches in their hands. And they were shouting with a great roar, salvation comes from our God who sits on the throne and from the lamb. So scripture gives us a vision of God's kingdom where humanity is perfectly unified around the glory of God, around Christ, and yet the vision that we get highlights not just what we have in common, but also our differences. It's a vision where different people from different cultures and different places are coming together for the common purpose of worshiping God. And the lesson that I want us to receive from these texts and these visions of God's kingdom here this morning is this. Listen, our differences, our cultural differences, are not something to be erased because we're one in Christ, but rather they are to be embraced for the glory of God. And when you have cultural awareness it means that you are aware of or you're actively seeking to learn about the various differences that you have with your brothers and sisters in Christ whom you're united to in Christ. And so here's why cultural awareness is so important to having true unity, all right? And let me, let's just, let's, let's, let me give you an example. Let's talk about worship and the church just for a second, all right? So if we were talking about the stereotypical black church in America, how would you describe the culture and the worship of that church? How would you describe that church's relationship with time? Right? Why is it that many black churches linger in their songs 
and in their worship for lengthy amounts of time? Why are their services generally longer? Why do they have that Hammond B3 organ playing softly underneath the sermon, ready to lead the congregation into 15 minutes of praise mid-sermon? Why are these churches more vocal in their worship, in their listening, and in their laments? Why do they involve their body more, raising their hands, dancing to the music in their worship? All right, now compare that to a stereotypical Presbyterian church. Now, I can make fun of the Presbyterians because I grew up as a Presbyterian. All right, it's like one meme that I saw on the internet that said this. It said, motion-activated lights turn off during Presbyterian worship service. Right, in the church that I grew up in, Presbyterian church, great church, faithful church, we, I remember we had one lady, and this was the lady that raised her hands during worship. And as a kid, I remember thinking, like, what's wrong with that lady? Right? So Presbyterians, they're very serious about their theology, their church polity, and their 20-minute three-point sermon. All right? Vastly different than most black churches. So, so here's the thing about cultural awareness. When we have cultural awareness... And we're willing to learn about how different people in different cultures do different things, then we now have a context for mutual love and the kind of unity that glorifies God. But when we do not have cultural awareness, what happens is we take issues that are actually cultural issues and we make them gospel issues. So a cultural issue is a particular idea or behavior or issue that cultures can reasonably differ on and still be faithful to the word of God. A gospel issue is one of those issues that's primary. It's one of those issues that if we're going to be brothers and sisters in Christ, we have to agree on this issue no matter where we're from, right? So the exclusivity of Jesus Christ is the only way to salvation is an example of a gospel issue. There's no room for debate with that. But when we are culturally unaware, it's very easy for us to take cultural issues and elevate them to gospel issues. So this might be why some in the Presbyterian camp might accuse the black church of being overly emotional and not serious about theology. And it might be why some in the black church might accuse Presbyterians of being cold and, and not warm when it comes to their worship of God. And so our lack of cultural awareness has actually caused unnecessary division because we've taken cultural things and elevated them to gospel things. But when we have a desire to be culturally aware, to be curious, to give our brothers and sisters the benefit of the doubt, there are some beautiful things that can be discovered. Uh, if you go to the Museum of African American Culture and, and History here in D.C., um, they help tell the story of why the black church has developed this culture over time. Uh, this one inscription on the wall caught my eye. I'm going to read this for you. I saw this at the uh, Museum of African American History. It says this, 
After emancipation, churches across the country served as public sanctuaries, centers for African-American community life, as well as religious institutions. Not all Americans welcomed black freedom, and they excluded African-Americans from public places. Black churches responded. Opening their doors, many provided a gathering place for education, political rallies, communication, organizing, and worship. As black-owned buildings on black-owned land, churches remained mostly independent of white control. And so after emancipation, blacks finally had the freedom to, to go to church in their churches And it was the one place during that time for many of them where they found dignity and hope and equality. And so they lingered at church. And they sang songs for a long time because it was therapy to their souls and they didn't want to stop. And they broke out in song when the promises of God were preached And they couldn't help but have physical response with their body as the love of their father was ministered to them. And they didn't want to leave because for them, church was a taste of God's kingdom where God would wipe away every tear from our eye and he'll make all things new. And so they lingered. And a rich heritage was beautifully built A rich culture of worship was beautifully built in the black church that I think is a closer picture of what God envisions when his people gather in the midst of this broken world so they can taste the kingdom of God. So when you become culturally aware, what happens is you discover the beauty and the rich theology of how one particular culture clung to the gospel and preached it boldly. The disagreement melts away into what is a glorious difference. The Presbyterians aren't wrong. The black church isn't wrong. They're gloriously different. And think about how God is more glorified when the two come together, worship in their different ways, and show each other a different perspective that the other hasn't seen before. That's what the kingdom of God is going to be like. So where might you need to grow in your cultural awareness? Where might you need to learn more about why people believe certain things or act in certain ways before you form an opinion? Where might you be making assumptions or worse, accusations from a place of being culturally unaware? You wouldn't believe the friendships and the unity And my goodness, just the view of God, the picture of God that you will develop when you become culturally aware and not make judgments too quickly. So in order for diversity to thrive in our church, for us to have real unity in in Christ, we need to be culturally aware. That's number one. 
Number two is this. It's important that we become trauma-informed. Now, that phrase, trauma-informed, is a very trendy concept lately, and I think that's a really good thing. Um, I think we're beginning to learn more and more about how hard experiences from our past shape our present in many ways that we didn't quite understand before. So to think about this one, turn with me in your Bible to the book of Job, the book of Job, and we're going to be in chapter 42. The book of Job is right before uh, the book of Psalms. So if you see Psalms, go back one book to the book of Job, chapter 42, towards the end there. Is that the last chapter? Yeah, that's the last chapter of Job. So if you know the story of Job, um, you know that Job went through some trauma in his life, a lot of suffering. In one day, his property was raided, killing all of his animals and livestock and workers. A storm came and blew over a house where all his kids were, killing all of his kids. Then the next day, he was struck with an illness that left him with boils all over himself, head to toe. He lost everything, including his health. And so the book of Job is primarily about Job wrestling with God through suffering. But a large part of this book is also taken up by Job's friends who tried to give Job advice and speak truth to Job during this traumatic experience of his life. And I think that it can be said that Job's friends were not trauma-informed. See, Job's friends were convinced that the reason why Job was experiencing all of this suffering was because of unrepentant sin in his life. And if Job would just repent of his sin, whatever that sin was, then he wouldn't be dealing with all of this suffering. Well, Let's read what God thought about that advice from Job's friends. So I'm going to read Job chapter 42, verses 7 to 11. It says this, After the Lord had finished speaking to Job, he said to Eliphaz the Temanite, one of Job's friends, I am angry with you and your two friends, for you have not spoken accurately about me as my servant Job has. So take seven bulls and seven rams and go to my servant Job and offer a burnt offering for yourselves. My servant Job will pray for you and I will accept his prayer on your behalf. I will not treat you as you deserve for you have not spoken accurately about me as my servant Job has. So Eliphaz, the Temanite, Bildad, the Shuhite, Zophar, the Namathite, did as the Lord commanded them, and the Lord accepted Job's prayer. So, so real quick, Job's friends are giving Job this advice, and God's saying, no, that's wrong, that you don't speak for me. What you are saying does not represent the truth about me. So God was very upset with how Job's friends handled this. Look at verse 10. When Job prayed for his friends, the Lord restored his fortunes. In fact, the Lord gave him twice as much before. 
Then all his brothers and sisters and former friends came and feasted with him in his home, and they consoled him and comforted him because of all the trials the Lord had brought against him, and each of them brought him a gift of money and a gold ring. How easy is it to make assumptions about a person when you don't understand the context of their life? See, what it means to be trauma-informed in its most simple form is to be aware that most people in life have been through hard things. There is context to their life. And those experiences have a powerful impact on their present-day thinking and behavior. And when we're not trauma-informed, yet we're trying to build true unity in a diverse congregation of people. What can happen is that we will, like Job's friends, take the struggles of other people and we will simplify them down to just a volitional decision. Did you catch that? When we're not trauma-informed, we'll take the struggles of other people and we'll just simplify, we'll diminish them down to a volitional decision. That's what Job's friends were doing. They thought that everything Job experienced was very simple. Hey, Job, this is a simple equation. You have sinned in some way. You are not repenting of that, right? You are volitionally, you're willfully not repenting of that, Job. Stop doing that, all right? And repent of your sin, and then all of this will get better. And God said to Job's friends, you don't speak for me. That's not how it is. Now, don't get me wrong. Many of our struggles are the result of volitional decisions. Many of them. But when you're trauma-informed, you, you learn to not make that assumption about people first. And trauma is not an excuse for sin, but it absolutely informs our process of repentance and restoration from sin. You know, having been in ministry now for over 12 years, I have sat down with a lot of people and heard about the traumatic experiences of their life. Like really tough, hard things I've heard. And of course, those things are told to me in confidence. They are not my stories to tell. But there are times when I will hear somebody in the church speak of another person in a particular way, accusing them of something, maybe it's gossip or slander, making an assumption about that other person. And what I'll be thinking internally is, if only you knew their story. If only you knew what they've been through. What they're healing from. What they're still hurting from. If you knew their story, you would be way more gracious. Way more gracious. Way more understanding way slower to make assumptions or to judge or to throw an accusation out. You wouldn't be making those judgments you're making if you knew their story. And one of the things I've learned in 12 years of ministry is most people have a story. 
our different cultures and our different backgrounds make us diverse. And our varying stories of living in this broken world also makes us diverse. Grace Hill, we, we learned last week that true unity is found when we unite around the mighty works of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that diversity encourages true unity. Because it helps us to, one, identify the cultural values that we might elevate to the level of gospel value that then causes division. And diversity encourages true unity because it also helps us to identify where we might be making assumptions about people before knowing their story. And so it's important as as people who have received the grace of God through Jesus that we do the work to become culturally aware and trauma-informed. And and that's just a really sophisticated way of saying that we need to do the work of knowing one another and our stories and our backgrounds and our testimonies and how God has rescued our lives. If we don't know one another and if we don't allow ourselves to be known by one another, how can we minister God's grace to one another. So who are you going to reach out to this week to get to know better? Whose story do you want to hear? Isn't it interesting in Job 42 at the end of that passage how after Job prayed for his friends and God forgave them and God restored Job and It was kind of like the whole story. Everyone knew everything now. Everyone was kind of brought into the light of what happened to Job and the experience that he went through. Once everyone truly got to know one another, what happened? They feasted. True unity. And it's found through our diversity by the grace of God. Let me pray for us. God, this morning, as we just continue to think about what it means to be truly unified in Christ, God, we pray that you would just put the motivation within our hearts to do the work of knowing one another and being known, to do the work of becoming culturally aware and and, and the beautiful, glorious differences that we have that all bring glory to you. And to do the work of being trauma-informed. And to know that we live in a hard, broken world. And many people are battered and still healing or need to be healed from this broken world. And so God, help us to be trauma-informed so we can be more gracious than we are judgmental. Help us to have the instinct, the default to lean into grace to not make assumptions. And when we are making assumptions, when we are making judgments, when we do want to speak about another person in a negative way, Lord, help us to lean into knowing them instead of being far away from them. God, I pray that you would help us to fight for unity in the way that Jesus fought for our unity. 
through giving up of ourselves in love of others. We love you, God. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.